0: Welcome to Acme Talks and Live Events. You are listening to a podcast from the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. This talk has been recorded in front of a live studio audience. This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes, which may not be suitable for younger audiences and the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME.
1: Hello everyone, Uh, my name's Sean and I work in public programs here at ACME. I'd like to welcome you all to Studio One this evening for another session of Live in the Studio, our ongoing series of events uh, exploring the small screen. Uh, Before we get started, I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the land that we're meeting tonight, the Wurundjeri people, the people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to their elders, both past and present. Um, One quick reminder before we get started as well, we do record our live in the studio sessions for podcasts So if you could all turn off your phones and if you had any pressing questions at the end of the session uh, There'll be some mics going around So please make sure you speak into a mic when you ask a question so we can record it Um, Now tonight we're of course in the studio to cross-examine the world of Veronica Mars Uh, As such we'll be taking a look back at the three seasons of the TV show as well as the recent feature film So I'm assuming everybody that came along tonight has seen All three seasons, and the film. Spoiler, there will definitely be spoilers (laughs) tonight. Um, We've brought together a wonderful group of marshmallows for tonight's exploration, uh, who will be led this evening uh, by Dr. Joimi Baker. Uh, Joimi is the author of a PhD thesis entitled Broadcast Space, TV, Culture, Myth and Star Trek, uh, for which she watched over 700 episodes of the iconic show and its (laughs) spin-offs. (laughs) She is also uh, the co-author of the recently published Encyclopedia of Epic Films, a spectacular book that looks at the wide variety of epics produced over the last century, uh, which is now available through Roman and Littlefield Publishers. Uh, She's also a regular on the red couch here at Acme and has joined us uh, in the studio to speak on everything from Star Trek to the sex and violence of Game of Thrones and most recently the short-lived but much-loved HBO series Enlightened. Uh, joining, jo- joining, join me, which is very hard to say on tonight's <laughs> panel, uh, is author and pedestrian TV writer Alastair Duncan, a writer, broadcaster, and creator slash host of La Femme, Karen Pickering, and writer, editor, part time DJ, and full time Logan lover <laughs> Stephanie fun. Van Schilt. Hi
2: everyone.
1: <laughs> uh, so please join me in welcoming our panel of guests tonight and enjoy the show. Okay.
3: So now I know what to do. <laughs> the end there will
4: be a show of hands as to whether you are team Piz or team Logan or whatever team, or you team have
5: Veronica to...
4: <laughs> as I said oh,
5: earlier yeah <laughs> but she's not in the competition <laughs>
6: like, <laughs>
4: as in like we all love her that's the thing okay Just okay, okay people right, right. <laughs> so uh, thinking about this panel as much as I love Veronica Mars and I do love Veronica Mars I wonder, if there's something about shows that get axed before their time that just makes that fan heart beat that bit faster than it might otherwise? Because there's all those narrative threads that didn't get played out, those relationships that you don't know how they ended, those characters that sort of just, ah, ah,
6: but, but, but,
4: ah. And I think there's something about that that really kind of keeps people engaged in a way that perhaps we, I don't, I don't know, I mean maybe it would have kept the love going, but is there something about those act shows, so I'm thinking you know, Star Trek is one, Firefly is another, is there something about that wanting to fill those gaps in and keeping that love together, so Veronica Mars thankfully is not dead, so we do not need to go onto Oprah to tell everybody how much she loved kittens,
6: <laughs> um, yeah.
4: but It is time to indulge tonight in a bit of Veronica Love with a character that Kristen Bell describes as a sassy girl who says exactly what you wanted to say in the moment. And how cool would it be if you had like a Veronica script for those moments (laughs) when the mean person says something bitchy to you (laughs) and you think of the comeback an hour later when it's all over and it's done and dusted. And that makes it sound like uber cool, our like private investigator teenage gal. But on the other hand, she, Kristen Bell also sort of says how much she's touched by fans coming up to her saying, I was a loner in high school too. This show helped me through. Mm. Um, and I think that's maybe something that's going to come up in that panel, this kind of you know uber-chick, but also that outsider status that all of us, I think, tap into in some way. Um, so... This is a show that so many people loved that it got the all-time number of Kickstarter backers to get this film up and running, which I think is just fab. And we're just before a bit of housekeeping. Um, as Sean mentioned, we are going to have questions, but what I'll do is hold them off until all our speakers have spoken, and at the end, we'll put some mics around. So, if something our speaker says absolutely gets you, on the end you've got to say something, Just. Stamp it down, we'll get to it at the end. So, first up, we've got self confessed TV and video game nerd Alastair Duncan. It's nice to have a fellow nerd who currently edits and writes for the pop culture website pedestrian.tv, writing on news, film, TV, music, and Chris Pratt's abs. <laughs> <laughs> He's also written for sites such as Junkie and the Drum, as well as Street Press across the country. Alastair quite rightly cites his career highlight as interviewing Bonnie Tyler. But he was suspiciously quiet with <laughs> me about the fact that he also did a very amusing little Star Trek Sex and the City tweet mashup <laughs> called Star Trek in the City, which I highly <laughs> recommend. <laughs> he's the author of two books and is currently... Well, he told me he was currently working on a screenplay, but he's actually confessed that he's sort of... almost sort of working it's on... The a screenplay, but it sounds cool to say, he's working on a screenplay. Yeah, yeah let's
6: go with that. We had, him,
4: we had him in the studio here with us back in 2012 to speak about his ongoing obsession for Dawson's Creek at our ACME session on Queer TV, so it's about time we had him back again. May, make him welcome, please.
7: Thank you. So are we um, couch or podium? Podium. Podium? Up okay. Go, go All righty. This is a big time. Go <laughs> All righty. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Um, so, I guess what I'd really like to talk about a bit more tonight is this idea of outsiders and kind of freaks and weirdos, and how that relates to Veronica Mars. Because um, when um, Sean invited me to come be on this panel, I was really excited because I thought, yeah, I get to go back and rewatch all those great Veronica Mars episodes again. Like you needed an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> seldom do. And that really got me thinking about why I liked the show so much in the first place. And, you know, I thought about all the really obvious reasons, you know, the fact that, for example, there was always a really great season-long mystery in the show. Like, you had the mystery of what happened to um, Lily, you know, and then you had the mystery of what happened to the bus in season two. So, you know, there were those great mystery stories, and then there was the great rapid-fire dialogue you know, especially uh, between Veronica and Keith, you know, all those great exchanges that they had and just the great characters. But I started thinking a little bit more about what differentiates Veronica Mars from other shows because, you know, I am a, a huge TV fan, you know, as are all of you, I would suspect. And so I started thinking about some of those really big, you know, important TV shows that everyone talks about, things like, you know, your Mad Men's Breaking Bad, Sopranos, and... I started thinking about those shows, something like The Sopranos. You know, the, the protagonist of that show is Tony Soprano, who's he's a complete asshole, but you can't help but love him. You know, he's a terrible person. He cheats on his wife, he kills people. He's basically a sociopath, you know, but you're just you're on his side because there's something just compelling about him. And Mad Men's sort of a similar thing. You know, a lot of the people in Mad Men are are really terrible, you know, Don Draper likewise cheats on his his wives, plural. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's uh, an alcoholic, functioning alcoholic. He drinks all day at work. And yet in spite of his flaws, you can't help but love him. And I kind of realized that Veronica Mars is actually nothing like a lot of those TV shows in that Veronica, when you get right down to it, is actually basically a really good person. You know, she's not someone that you love to hate. She's someone who actually goes out there and fights for the underdog, you know, and fights for what's right. And that got me thinking about who Veronica is as a character. And I actually realized that, you know, as in a lot of TV shows that I really love, Veronica Mars is actually really all about outsiders, you know, kind of weirdos, losers who don't really fit in, you know, with with the norms, you know, who kind of stand out a little bit from what everyone else is doing. So that got me thinking about a few shows that I'll mention, you know, briefly later on, shows like um, Daria and Freaks and Geeks. But I just really wanted to talk more about this idea of, you know, Veronica as an outsider and, you know, what it means to be, you know, such a compelling, interesting sort of outsider character on television. And I think, like, one of the main facets of that is the fact that um, Veronica Mars is a high school show, or for the first two seasons at least, it's a high school show. Because, you know, high school is a really potent setting for stories. Because, you know, it's a time in your life, where it was a time in my life, at least, that was quite tumultuous, you know, like you're going through a lot of changes, you're figuring out who you are as a person, and you're kind of trying to find out where you fit. So there's a lot of drama in high school, because people are joining up with their various cliques, you know, whether, whether that be the cool popular kids, whether that be the sporty kids, you know, nerds, wannabes, I'm just reeling off cliches now, but you know, (laughs) you sort of, you, you find out where you fit. And, that was a really important aspect of Veronica Mars because, of course, uh, when when we met Veronica, she had just been cast out of the cool group for reasons that we we didn't really know uh, at the time. You know, we sort of later found out that had to do with um, with Lily's murder and her dad's reaction to that and the fact that she'd been ostracised from the cool kids. But I just think the fact that Veronica was ostracised so early on is really interesting and really helped shape her character. And there's... Just a key scene that I really, really like. Um, I think I've just rewatched the whole thing. I think the scene comes from the pilot. It's when Veronica meets Wallace, you know, because that that scene is just perfect because it tells you sort of everything you need to know about these characters. You know, she comes to school one morning to find this new kid has been sort of stripped and tied to the flagpole, and he's just sort of there being humiliated and embarrassed while everyone's standing around taking photos and... Pointing and laughing, and actually, one thing that was really funny about that is someone takes a selfie with him, which was actually really sort of forward thinking for 2004. Because yeah. <laughs> this show was like 10 years ago, and you know, these days someone taking a selfie would be no big deal, but I was thinking, obviously, these are like rich kids that they have the ability to do that <laughs> in 04. That's kind of a tangent, anyway. It's a
6: first selfie. Uh,
7: So, yeah, Veronica sees this injustice happening, and she's like, no, I'm going to step in and do something about this. So she she parts the crowd, you know, she cuts Wallace down. She says, you know, show's over, everybody, just go about your business. And, you know, from then on, she and Wallace are, are sort of firm friends and, you know, partners in fighting crime. And I just love that scene because it's so simple, but it just tells you, you know, that... Veronica is a champion of the underdog, the little guy, because you know Wallace is obviously going to be a bit of a, a standout you know, at Neptune High. So Veronica is the kind of person who you know, stands up for the one who's getting picked on and beaten up. And that, that scene actually led me to consider another scene that I really like from a show that I'm sure everyone's familiar with, Freaks and Geeks. We got the... There's just a... I mean, just quick show of hands. Everyone knows this show, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, There's just this fantastic scene that I quickly wanted to talk about, one that similarly establishes the characters and the tone of the show. You know, Freaks and Geeks opens with um, a shot of a sort of pretty popular girl, like a cheerleader, speaking to her quarterback boyfriend on the sporting field, and they're talking about their love for each other, but then the camera pans back and up and underneath the bleachers, where you see sort of the, the freaks hanging out, like the weirdos, the loners, and you kind of quickly realize that the tone of the show is going to be something quite different. And I believe um, uh, Judd Apatow, who created Freaks and Geeks, actually said that you know he wanted to create a high school show that was different from a lot of the shows that came before that had focused on the popular kids. And you know he sort of instead wanted to focus on the people who, who existed on the margins. And it only lasted for you know that one beautiful season, but Freaks and Geeks was just amazing, you know, in how it depicted. You know, obviously both the freaks, you know, who were the stoners and bad boys and, you know, outcasts and the geeks who were, you know, the hardcore Dungeons and Dragons playing maths and physics nerds. You know, that show was just incredibly, I feel, like really honest in how it portrayed those kinds of characters that that up until then you didn't necessarily see in a lot of teen shows. And, you know, I just like that, that scene from Freaks and Geeks because it just really... Sets, sets the tone for the whole show in the same way that Veronica's rescue of Wallace really set the tone for Veronica Mars. And it actually kind of made Freaks and Weirdos seem cool, you know, which was a very nice thing as well. But sticking with this idea of being an outcast, one aspect of Veronica Mars that I actually find really interesting is it actually really goes into a lot of ideas about social class. There's a line, I think, in the pilot episode, Veronica's talking about Neptune High, and she's talking about how crazy this Neptune community is. She says, you know, if you live here, uh, you're either a millionaire or you clean a millionaire's house, which is, that's the social strata in town. You have fabulously wealthy people um, whose kids are called the o ers because they live in the 90909 area code. And, you know, even just that name o ers just has, like, a cool, mean ring to it. And, and then you have the rest. And, you know, Neptune society is really interesting because, you know, when... We, we sort of meet these characters for the first time. We're introduced to a world where you have, I mean, for want of a better phrase, I guess, you have a lot of sort of wealthy douchebags who prey on the people beneath them. You know, there's a great scene early on where uh, the o ers have a bit of a skirmish on the beach with um, Weevil and his motorbike gang, who obviously come from sort of the poorer part of Neptune. And uh, Logan, who in the early episodes was really a dick, is, um, he was horrible. Like, I didn't realise how, how nasty he was. He's, um, he's really laying into Weevil, and he's talking about how Weevil's uh, grandma cleans his house and keeps it spick and span, you know, being that sort of racial slur that he's prone to making. So you've got this real animosity between rich and poor. And one of the cool things about Veronica, I think, is that she actually stands up for the outsiders, you know, i.e. the, the sort of poorer people, those who are lower on the ladder, because she's kind of one of them. You know, uh, before we met her... She was one of the cool, popular kids. Suddenly, she's ostracized. She's not anymore. You know, her dad's a struggling PI. They're sort of struggling to make a living. She's, she's now part of that lower sort of social strata. But she becomes a real champion for those people, you know, and she's sort of there, you know, bursting this bubble of privilege. And suddenly, you know, if you're a rich douchebag in Neptune, you can't get away with exploiting those beneath you anymore because Veronica's out to get you. And just that, that sort of class aspect of the show... I find really interesting. And you you don't sort of see that many characters on television who are champions of the little guy to that same extent. I mean, I'm sure there are some out there, but these days on TV we tend to like people who are, you know, villains. You know, like you love to hate Don Draper, you love to hate Tony Soprano, and like most of the characters on Game of Thrones probably. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Veronica is really unique in that she was actually, you know, a really good person doing good things. And I just wanted to relate that a little bit to The O.C., um, which is the next <laughs> image, I believe, because I'd never, any, any opportunity to talk about The O.C. Yeah. But um, I just feel like that was, you know, similarly a show where, you know, it was a teen soap. so obviously it was a little bit silly, but that show also had a lot of interesting things to say about class if you scratch the surface, because, you know, the protagonist, Ryan, he's this kid who's come from, like, a horribly poor background uh, in, where did he grow up? Someone help me. Chino. Thank you. I'm so embarrassed. I'm sorry. You know, he's come from the wrong side of the tracks. He's come to the OC to make good. And this is something that they maintain throughout probably the first two seasons of the show at least. He was a real outsider in this, this world of privilege. And he was treated like a real curiosity. And there's a fantastic scene in the pilot episode of the OC where um, Ryan is standing at the end of the Cohen's driveway um, smoking a cigarette, waiting to get picked up to go to a party. And, you know, the beautiful, luminous Marissa comes down her driveway and sees him for the first time, doesn't know who he is. And she says, who are you? And he says, whoever you want me to be. And it's kind of, you know, it's a bit of a cheesy line. But at the same time, I just, I just find that really interesting because, you know, Ryan is this character who comes from... He's, he's a complete outsider in this world of privilege. And people project a lot of their fantasies onto him. You know, like he's the the bad boy who's going to, you know, he's, I can't think of a polite way to say this. Um, you know, he's kind of, I'm going <laughs> to... Sorry, I'm really struggling. Like, I want to say he's a good root, but that's thats really rude. You know, I guess rough trade is the phrase I'm looking for. You know, he has that kind of appeal because he's a bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks, but people kind of don't treat him like, like a real person for that reason. He's kind of... Uh, He's a curiosity for a lot of people in this world. And I, know, I just find that aspect of the OC really interesting, like a person from a completely different class coming into this whole new world and sort of being treated very oddly by, by the people there. Uh, but that's uh, sort of... That leads me vaguely to something else, which is a point that I wanted to make. Uh, again, getting back to outsiders in Veronica Mars. Because, you know, though Veronica was a, a champion of the little guy and the underdog... One thing that I really like about Veronica Mars is that, you know, those outsiders, those freaks, they weren't always necessarily treated as, you know, virtuous poor people with hearts of gold. There were actually outsiders in the show who were villains as well, which I thought was really cool. Like, there was a great episode um, back in season one called The Wrath of Con, which is where Veronica took on some evil computer hackers. That's one of my favourite episodes of the whole show, and I love that. Because, you know, Veronica's all about the downtrodden, And here you have this group of geeks who are very outcast and sort of marginalized, you know, because of their love of computers. And they don't really fit into, you know, normal society either. And yet, you know, they're not virtuous. They're not noble. They're running uh, sort of internet, um, their own version of a Nigerian email scam. (laughs) And so here you have the outsider versus the outsiders. And I just really like that aspect of the show because it feels very even-handed. And things like that, I just think, gave a lot of texture and a lot of nuance to Veronica Mars because, you know, the outsiders weren't always saints. They weren't always hard workers struggling to make ends meet. Sometimes they were douchebags as well, which actually just brings me on another tangent to um, Rob Thomas's next show, Party Down, which is one of my all-time favourite shows. It was just incredible. <laughs> and that show tonally was very similar, I thought, because once again here you had a group of outsiders. Like, you know, this was a bunch of people who were aspiring actors and aspiring screenwriters, you know, who were just too peculiar and weird to really make it. You know, the protagonist, Adam Scott's Henry, he was in a beer commercial and he was known for his one line, which was... (laughs) Thank you, yeah. (laughs) And he was just struggling to get over that. Uh, You know, Lizzie Kaplan's Casey was a great comedian, but she just couldn't break through because she was just too eccentric and too weird. So you had these, these noble, struggling weirdos... But then you also had Roman, uh, who was just, he was an amazing character, you know, because he was, likewise, he was a hardcore geek, hardcore nerd, but, you know, he wasn't virtuous. He wasn't long-suffering. He was just an asshole. And there's an incredible episode where the Party Down crew cater uh, the launch of a porn DVD, and uh, Roman comes this close to um, having sex with one of the porn stars but he can't because he can't let go of the distinction between fantasy and hard sci-fi. And so he <laughs> argues with her and shouts her down to the extent that she just cuts him off and walks away. So that's, I just love that about Roman, that he's just such a horrible person through and through. So, and I think that's a great thing about Rob Thomas' shows is that you know, the people in them feel very real, you know, for, for better and for worse. And how am I doing for time, by the way? Have I... You're
6: getting close to wrap up time. <laughs>
7: Just one more, then. Um, <laughs> I also wanted to talk a tiny bit about Daria, because I feel like that's another show that really relates to Veronica Mars, in that, you know, in Daria, you had this core friendship of Daria and Jane, who were two people who, they were sort of too smart and cynical for their little suburban world, so they formed a little army of two, where they had, you know, their own private language, their own private jokes, just their way of coping with the world that they saw as against them was just to sort of yeah form this very special bond and I actually kind of see a real continuity there between Daria and Jane and Veronica and Keith because thinking about you know the way Veronica and her dad interact they also you know in their own way they form their own little language as, as a way of dealing with the world like watching season one again especially I was really struck by the way that they speak to each other. Because if you think about those characters, you know, he's struggling to make ends meet. She's helping him in every way she can. Her mum's, you know, shot through. So they're in a pretty dire situation. But they always relate to each other with really incredible humour. You know, they talk to each other like they're in an old sort of hard-boiled private detective movie. You know, he's always talking about dames and she calls him Philip Marlowe at one point. And, you know, she calls him Pop and he calls her Kid. So I just really like the way that these two, you know, as... Sort of social outcasts, you know, who are really struggling, use this this private shared humor just as a way to sort of make it through. You know, I that's one of the things. The dialogue in Veronica Mars was incredible, but just that little aspect of it, I really, really enjoyed. So I've probably burned through my fifteen minutes now. One thing um, I just wanted to say, just very quickly, just a random piece of trivia. We were talking before about um, Joss Whedon how he made a cameo. One of my favourite Veronica Mars cameos ever, it's just a weird one, Kim from Cycle 5 of Next Top Model, uh, did a challenge and won, and her, her prize for the challenge was a walk-on role in Veronica Mars. So she played the rental car clerk in the episode with Joss Whedon, and she crushed it. She was amazing. Yeah, so really next great. time you watch it, um, look out for her, because she was great. So that's a complete uh, non sequitur, but just wanted to throw that in the mix. So uh, thank you very much. <laughs>
4: So, now, before we move on to our next speaker, I just wanted to pick up on something this yeah. idea of that pivotal scene between Veronica and Wallace as setting yeah. the tone for the show yeah. and this is a bit of a hypothetical but do you think we would have engaged in the show in a different way if we'd had like the first season of her being the cool girl and then oh, like yeah, season definitely. two? you know, being where we we came in, and how would that, do you think, would it have worked the same if we did that?
7: Well, it's sort of interesting, because there was actually, um, much like the OC, Veronica Mars also had an unnecessary Paris Hilton cameo. But, (laughs) like, I think they brought her in to show us what Veronica would have been like, because, you know, her character was this rich girl who was going out with one of the um, Weevil's gang and was secretly, you know, running a scam on Logan while she was dating him. So she was one of that popular crowd who was sort of discovered... And then cast out. So I feel like, I mean, that, she was kind of horrible. I feel like Veronica would have been a lot nicer, you know, in her, <laughs> her time in the in crowd. But I feel like maybe they chucked that in just to give us a mm. bit of an idea of. You know, Isn't she
4: nice because she suffered that fall?
7: That's a really interesting question. I mean, she's a product of Keith, you know, who's mm, a cool that's guy. True, so I feel like.
4: Cool. Cool.
7: She's nice. yeah. Yeah. She and Lily like, yeah. Yeah. interact. Yeah, yeah. She's like, the nice guy yeah. you know, in, the, yeah. in the, mm. the
2: flashback. She plays the role of the only person with a conscience. Um, in the 09ers because also, she's on only there because she's, you know, her father's being the sheriff gives her a little bit of social mobility. Mm. Um, but yeah, and so she's she also
5: seems like she's kind of silenced in the flashback. She's not remotely as quippy. She's not no. remotely as, like. There's well, that really like I'm just. And
7: she tries on clothes and things like that. Most yeah. of the flashbacks with Lily are her sort of trying on outfits, doing so. girly stuff. Yeah, yeah
6: trying
2: to find herself. Yeah, Lolling. so it's maybe the the. the the switch to being an outsider that gives her that toughness mm. and that that humour to where she engages with everyone in a kind of wise ass way.
4: Mm. Because if she had been, I mean, as sweet as she is in those flashbacks, if she'd been that kind of like yeah. apple pie kind of thing, would we have been that interested in her as the sassy kind of hurt Veronica that we, we get?
7: It's a really tough one. I mean it would have been such mm. a different shot. It would yeah. definitely. I, I, yeah. I think maybe not. Yeah. 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 She I'm was trying kinda to think at the of kind of
5: parallel point. like Sabrina the Teenage Witch or
2: something is that kind of... I guess Gossip Girl is kind of like another show that has a lot of, you know, fairly shallow class analysis, mm. but where you're encouraged to, to identify with the person, with the, you know, the poor rich girl who mm. has it really tough. Um, yeah, so I wonder mm. if it would have been a, as insufferable as Gossip Girl. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Ooh. a really interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: All right, moving on to you, Karen. Um, Karen Pickering is the creator and host of Cherche La Femme, Melbourne's monthly feminist talk show in the pub. First Tuesday is at the Duke of Wellington. So if you like what Karen's about to say, then you can catch her next Tuesday, 3rd of June, to look at feminism and boys. Karen has written about gender, activism, politics, pop culture, current affairs for such publications as The Guardian, The Age, The Drum, Crikey, New Matilda... She's appeared at the Wheeler Centre, MWF, EWF, NYWF. Can
6: we get any more F's
4: in there on the project? Radio National and ABC 774. I've finished that sentence. (laughs) She's currently working on a feminist film festival to be launched this year called Girls on Film. A book on the history of the CWA. I hope there's a good Scott recipe in there. A comedy show for Melbourne Fringe. (laughs) Okay, and so we're lucky enough to drag her out of all that (laughs) over here She's coming back to us after last year's Downton Abbey panel. Would you make her welcome, please?
2: Thanks very much. I'll just get straight into it. So, I've had a lot of feminist role models in my life, and many of them have been television characters. There was uh, the first one, I think, was Linda Day from Press Gang. Uh, then there's Darlene Connor on Roseanne. Uh, Murphy Brown, of course. Uh, yeah, who I just thought was the raddest ever. So I had a very early aspiration to become a single mom. <laughs> Daria Morgendorffer, obviously, and uh, all the golden girls. Uh, Buffy Summers, who I think is another, uh, another outsider, definitely. Um, Jane Tennyson, a prime suspect, who is someone I've had in mind a lot re-watching Veronica Mars and thinking about the the tradition of the woman detective. Uh, and, yes, Veronica Mars. So what do these characters have in common? Well, the first thing is that they're all in charge of themselves and, in some cases, in charge of other people. They have different-sized problems to solve and challenges to face, and they usually deal with uh, these challenges by cracking whys Relying on their friends and family occasionally, and in Jane Tennyson's case, drinking heavily. (laughs) (laughs) They all fit the tired cliche of strong female character, but they're actually much more realistic and satisfying than that. uh, Because they're flawed, they're complicated, and they're okay with being wrong from time to time. They negotiate with the men in their lives for respect, for the right to be taken seriously, and for room to move and change. Uh, and they all exist in fictional worlds that are clearly sexist. <laughs> uh, and they are having none of it. So why do I love Veronica Mars so much? Well, because I think not only is Veronica obviously a feminist, but I think actually Rob Thomas has made a show that has some pretty decent gender politics. its um, I read an interview with him where he said he wanted to make a teen drama um, that he had to then add in the detective story because he thought it would sell better. So he really wanted to make a teen dramedy first and it became a detective mystery second. But it also has, as Alistair has um, flagged, some pretty interesting stuff to say about class and race in America, I think, and those intersections of power. Uh, It has some pretty amazing comments on sexuality, consent, family and intimate partner violence, toxic masculinity respect in relationships and the ethics of friendship. And that's all in season one. (laughs) So we remember the big mystery from season one, the first season, sorry, was uh, Lily Kane's murder. But also it uh, was the mystery of where Leanne Mars had disappeared to and, crucially, uh, who had drugged and raped Veronica the year before after she woke up in the spare room of a party, missing her underwear and knowing that something was very wrong that's already pretty heavy for a teen show. Uh, But notice the centrality of women here. That sets up a few seasons in which male characters are often peripheral, secondary or even just vehicles to tell us more about the women. That's pretty unusual and revolutionary right there. But going back to Veronica's quest to find out why she woke up without knowing how she lost her virginity, that's a fairly sharp critique of rape culture and victim-blaming that teenagers live with every day, but they're not really encouraged to interrogate. But she does what victims are told is their responsibility. She goes straight to the police, who not only don't believe her, but openly blame and shame her. This is pretty close to what many women report going through, actually, if they disclose it all. But remember later when Veronica tells Logan, despite being in love with him at this point... I'm going to find out who did this to me and I'm going to make them pay, even if it was you. Oh. (laughs) That's some serious feminist wish fulfilment right there. (laughs) Then there are the multiple storylines about slut-shaming, that social disease that begins in high school and hurts women all their lives. Literally, the shaming of women for wanting and having sex. Remember Carmen, the girl who couldn't break up with her foul boyfriend, Tad? Tad. (laughs) Because he's got a dirty video that he's threatening to make public. A video that he made after drugging her with DHB. Uh, Then there was the purity test. Mm -hmm. The online quiz determining your sluttiness based on how you answered questions with a different set of results for girls and boys, if you remember rightly. Uh, And remember when Veronica's favourite teacher, Mr Rooks, Mm played by Parks and Rec and Party Down's Adam Scott, who we all, you know, love deeply and meaningfully, (laughs) was up on trumped-up allegations of having an affair with a student, getting her pregnant and then abandoning her. And Veronica was determined to prove his innocence and expose the evil, scheming, mean girls who were conspiring to bring down this good man. She succeeded in saving his job and clearing his name. This is such a common trope in television. Uh, that it was hardly surprising it would turn up here. Only problem was, he was 100% guilty.
6: Ah, spoilers!
2: (laughs) (laughs) And so subverting that tired and harmful trope that uh, women often make false rape allegations or false uh, allegations against men was not only a good twist as demonstrated by The Gasps, <laughs> but one that was much more compatible with a feminist view that we should really believe victims and survivors when they tell us that something has gone wrong. It was also a good reminder that guys who are really funny and cool and good at their jobs can also be sex offenders. That's true. Uh, and further on survivors, uh, This I wanted to make the point that I think Logan's status as a survivor of family violence is actually pretty key to his rehabilitation in the eyes of both Veronica and the audience. And it's also a pretty bold move for a comedic, light teen mystery to uh, address the issue of intergenerational domestic violence and the tendency of survivors to end up in abusive relationships. Both Lynn and Trina Eccles cut tragic figures as the victims of Aaron Eccles, along with Lily, who are unable to break out of the patterns until it's too late. And what about the dynamics of the Mars family? a working single dad and his daughter struggling to cope with the mum who's walked out. Leanne Mars is an alcoholic who cheats on her husband with her high school sweetheart, cons her daughter out of her college fund, skips out on rehab and steals 50 grand from her own family before shooting through for good. (laughs) Now that's not great for Veronica (laughs) or Keith or Leanne really, but I love that the gender reversal of this allowed a woman, especially a mother, on screen, to be just messed up. In fact, the show is pretty equal opportunity in terms of people on the edge. Lily and Celeste Kane are not quite model citizens. Uh, G. Goodman is hilariously frank in her <laughs> extreme selfishness. Uh, and even Mac has slightly criminal tendencies. I love all of this because it means that women um, are allowed to be full and complete characters, uh, as um, as Alistair said, there, there's nothing so simple, because when strong female character becomes code for perfect infallible robo-girl, you're just swapping one problem for another in terms of representation of women in fiction. So it's not just the women of Neptune who tick a few feminist boxes, men who are sexist and disrespectful to women. Except Logan <laughs> are inevitably the jerks and the villains of the show. Well, he's kind of a jerk and a villain of the show, as well as a hero. He's complicated.
4: <laughs>
2: it's complicated. He's
4: so complex. He's
2: so complex. Uh, it, that's why I'm Team Veronica. <laughs> that's what I say. Uh, it's um when people usually when people and like in a narratological sense when people are awful to women, it means that the Mars family is going to get them. Uh, ..and catch up with them. So Sheriff Lamb, Vinnie Van Lowe, Troy Van de Graaff, ..obviously Aaron Eccles, just some examples. And while I know the love triangle of Veronica, Logan and Duncan... ..remember him?
6: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then Veronica, Logan and Piz uh, is hardly original... ..I think that a female lead with a male best friend, Wallace... ..is a relationship um, that is unusual for television... And it's a relationship not really plagued by sexual tension in any way. It's, uh, it's an unusual and impressive uh, feature. A dad who trusts her, a best mate who often needs her help and is very, looks up to her and is strengthened by her, and a few different boyfriends who all get how utterly formidable she is. I love how often the men cry on this show. I love that they so often need rescuing by our hero. <laughs> I love that Dick is called Dick.
6: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but back to Keith Mars. You know you're growing up when you start falling in love with the dads of the show, <laughs> rather than the stars. See also Friday Night Lights.
7: He <laughs> also first started in Glee. Which,
2: incidentally, I went. This my. We'll I'll give you a little piece of unrelated trivia. <laughs> Rob Thomas was offered the position of showrunner for Friday Night Lights and he declined in order to make season three of Veronica Mars. So they could have been two very different shows. Uh, Keith and Coach have some things in common. They have a deep and abiding respect for women and an attraction to strong women. They have natural leadership qualities and the ability to bring out the best in their charges. Keith worries, but he doesn't smother Veronica, unlike Coach, who I think (laughs) does uh, smother his kid. He accepts and sometimes grudgingly... uh, allows her independence and he values her skills and he wants Veronica to be a powerful, kick-ass woman who doesn't need anyone. He gets his wish. Veronica Miles is not a perfect show by any means. The gender politics have always impressed me though. Debuting in 2004, this show came out in the same year as Mean Girls, a year before Ariel Levy's Female Chauvinist Pigs in 2005, And seven years before the first slut walk in 2011 that spread around the world, marking a watershed of revived interest in feminist politics among young women who had had enough. So whether it was the aforementioned Kickstarter to kickstart all Kickstarters (laughs) or bring decent gender politics to teen drama, Veronica Mars, just like the character, has always been just a little bit ahead of the curve. Thank you.
4: Um, one of the things that I picked up on is this idea um, when you're talking about that of, of not being afraid to... Um... Oh, my picture. Your picture? Do you have a picture? I was meant
2: we... to click it, was I?
4: No, ah, great. But, there we go. We're back to that. It was just <laughs> meant to
2: be behind me the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine. I was. Oh, oh okay. great. That's okay. I was paying attention,
4: obviously. <laughs> <laughs> you had reading to do I'm and talking and jokes and things like that. I wise. I think at one stage, I think it's Meg, but I could be wrong, who who says to Veronica, thanks for your help, but you might want to rethink that revenge part because it makes her an outsider and puts her on the outer. And I thought that was interesting, you know, like in terms of like how is Veronica sort of standing up for herself and not being afraid to seek revenge, how you see that played out in relation to the other characters in the show and
2: we'll see how that... She grows quite a lot over the few seasons and you see her in in the second season especially. She has a lot of, she has a few uh, crossroads moments where Mm -hmm. she has to decide what kind of person she wants to be and she has to decide whether she's going to take revenge against people or whether she's going to, I guess, destroy someone just because she can. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And in the case of Jackie, if you remember, Jackie, um, Wallace's girlfriend for a while, who reveals uh, Veronica's terrible secret about the boob throwing cream <laughs> or something. Um, <laughs> on that, like the psych... Mama, Mama Max. Psychic, yeah, that psychic on the, show. Yeah, the, psych- show. The, 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 the psychic show, yeah. <laughs> um, and Jackie's just, you know, just being straight up bitch, you know. She's just mm-hmm. having a go at her um, because she's jealous of, you know, Wallace being friends with her. And Veronica, I think, then makes that um, recording of her, which she then decides, no. I'm mm-hmm. going to be the bigger person. And we see that time and again. Mm-hmm. Veronica has a lot of power and she does wield it responsibly.
7: You know, she's a good superhero. <laughs> who was her boyfriend in the first season who turned out to be a drug dealer? Troy Van de Graaff. Yeah, well, that's right. And, and she, then he did. appears yeah.
2: in the third season as well as the, the Hearst College rapist. Oh, that's mm. right. Really... Oh, yeah. Another spoiler. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so she, she has these, um, as you said, you rattled off those shows that are considered the kind of of the moment, great TV shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad mm. and Sopranos and Game of Thrones, and not only do they mostly focus on male characters, but they're antiheroes, mm. and that was a trend that really took off in the mm. you know, late 2000s. And Veronica, you know, predates it. Mm. And then the the movie really beautifully, you know, sticks with that mm. theme. You know, it doesn't it doesn't make Veronica a sort of dark, terrible kind of anti-hero who has to drag herself out of misery to come back. She's still Veronica. She's
4: still uh, Nor is she right. perfect either, which mm. sort of picks up what you were saying, that not having to be infallible just to be powerful. Yeah,
2: that's right. I think that, yeah, I think she, she goes through, we go through with her those yeah. kind of, um, it's, a, it's a classic kind of coming-of-age story where she, but so often coming-of-age stories um, focus on, on boys and men, and if they focus on women, they usually, I think don't involve someone so self-possessed you know Mm. if you compare the OC or Gossip Girl or other Gilmore (laughs) Mm. Girls yeah other shows (laughs) with um oh I suppose Rory's a feminist but um they're they're usually about like oh you know do I like this guy and like oh maybe I like this guy I don't know <laughs> you know whereas Veronica's like she's got that that love triangle but she's also you know solving mysteries and taking up, you know joining the FBI and they've got that and like and the everything. guys can
4: totally wait for that too it's like yeah. it's like you know yeah hold I'm I'm busy over here thank you yeah
2: in that sense it's maybe got more in common with something like the Hunger Games mm. in, where the, the female character is like you know I'm kind of busy <laughs> like killing and stuff, stuff. <laughs> yeah and you two can just like chill. Yeah, so Jackie <laughs> yeah. was actually
7: a bit like that. Like in the early seasons, at least when she had, you know, her husband on the one hand and she was having an affair with the pharmacist who was really all up in her grill. Yeah. And she was just like, I don't want this from you. Yeah. I have my kids and my job and all my other crap to deal with. And yeah, it's kind of a similar dynamic. Yeah. It such a good show.
2: Women keep men waiting, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I like, I just, I don't, people sometimes say to me, like, do you want shows where, you know, that ha- where the reverse is true, where the male mm. characters are really weak and whatever, I'm like, no, I want shows where every, every character might confound my ideas of what that character could do mm. and want complex and flawed and interesting and realistic characters.
4: And keep us tuning in too. Yeah. You know. It works. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Well, we're going to move on to Stephanie Van Schild, who's Deputy Editor of The Lifted Brow, co-host of Rereaders Podcast and TV columnist at Kill Your Darlings. Her writing is featured in various local and international publications, including Crikey, Junkie and The Big Issue. She's currently completing an MA in creative writing at Monash University with a focus on television criticism. Who would have guessed? And she tells me she's looking forward to eating ribs with fellow Will Graham Lover Sean like <laughs> soon after this event. This is Stephanie's first trip to the studio, so please make a welcome.
6: Oh.
5: y'all it's kind of hard to follow those two I don't know what am I doing okay on so a few years ago I finished watching Veronica Mars seasons one through three yeah I was kind of late to the series but I still fell madly and deeply in love with the show and the characters the stories and the world I slammed the entire series down in a little over a month and during this time I was completely infatuated (laughs) It's all I could talk about and all I could think about and I'm pretty sure I made everyone around me sick with marshmallow poisoning. You could probably ask Sean, my friend here. Uh, For that time, Veronica Mars was my everything. It's the very last shot of season... Oh, in the very last shot of season three, which obviously isn't that. We watch Veronica silently leave the polling booth and walk away, her father and Neptune's uncertain future in the distance. As the camera pulls back and Albert Hammond croons how it never rains in sunny California, the rain indeed falls on the fictional West Coast town. The credits roll. Always so subtle, but that's what we love, right? (laughs) I'd like to say that to paraphrase the... Immortal lines of Flight of the Concords. while I watched this sequence. I wasn't crying rather. It was the residual Neptune rain on my face But the tears really did fall down my cheeks because I was sad and I was overwhelmed with emotion About everything that held in the balance for the world that I'd come to love with V at the center So many relationships were strained and there was still so much left to say and do and experience together this ending provided absolutely no closure but season finales often leave me feeling this way. And the great thing about coming to a show after it's already aired means that you can just roll over in bed, wipe the tears off your cheeks, open your preferred browser and keep the love affair alive. I was primed for season four. Yeah, I actually believe that there was a season four at this stage. I, I really thought there was more to follow. I sincerely thought I'd just head over to JB Hi-Fi, grab the next box set from the shelf, Or if I was being honest, I'd probably just nab a torrented version just because I didn't want to put pants on and leave the house. Because when you're lovesick, all you want to do is spend time in bed with your chosen partner. And for me, that was Veronica Mars. So who needs the rest of the world? So when I discovered that iTunes came up blank, torrented sites and every and any online store didn't have a copy of the fourth season, I was really confused. And so I began my experience with what I like to call televisual grief. with denial at the the forefront and anger and depression still to come. First off, I realise now, many years on, that I must seem pretty stupid to have thought that a fourth season existed, particularly given how strongly fans had campaigned to save the show at at the time. I'm sure some of you here are shaking your head at my naivety, but during the days that Veronica Mars had originally aired, I was busy with work and school, and due to the level of intensity that I bring to my TV viewership, I had to limit my, obses- limit my obsessive teen intake to the OC.
6: <laughs>
5: so I missed the original hubbub, and not everyone can multitask like our favorite sleuth, so who can blame me? I'd also like to add that I plan to catch up on every defining TV show that has ever existed. <laughs> if I haven't seen it, it's on my long-standing mental list to do. And this is where Veronica Mars sat for a while. Accordingly, before I commit to a series, I try to dodge a many spo- as many spoiler bullets as I possibly can. And given the internet wasn't big during this part in our lives, in the days that Veronica Mars originally aired, I mean, Kane Industries pretty much just invented video <laughs> streaming technology and not everyone is Mac. So conversations around the show were easy to avoid. The only info I really had was from Google to find out about the next season. This is what I like to call Exhibit A in how I was led on to believe that uh, Veronica Mars had a fourth season. This screenshot was taken literally today. So Google is still misleading sheltered Veronica Mars viewers that there is a fourth season. Seriously, if you type into that omnipotent search engine, Veronica Mars season, it just drops down with three, two, one, oh, four. there's a fourth. So in the throes of my televisual grief, denial took over because even when I read IMDb's tombstone, I still couldn't believe it was done. Because it couldn't end that way. It just couldn't. I mean, above above all else, as a staunch as Team Logan, yep. Team Logan supporter I was. How was I supposed to go on not knowing if they got back together? Discovering there was no season 4 made me feel like I'd been dumped by a text message. Now, this may sound dramatic to the average TV viewer, but to us obsessives, it feels very, very real. I'm sorry to group you all in with with me right now, but let me give you a few stats to demonstrate how important and serious and truly loving the relationship between a fan and their show is. My friends, we have spent an estimated total of 2,688 minutes with Veronica Mars. That's roughly 49 hours and excluding the movie, and reading the new book, which I did yesterday. I can guarantee you right now that over the past decade, I've spent less time with my family. That's some serious (laughs) DVD over DNA truths right there. So other than my sheer stupidity at believing that
0: Google... But...
5: (laughs) Come on... (laughs) I don't feel bad about how strongly I speak about my relationship with Veronica Mars or how excited I was when I heard about the film Reprisal and and how when I got my hands on the book when it was released last month I was so excited and I'm so excited about the next one. But I didn't care that only a few people in my life share the passion for counting down until the movie came out or staying in on the weekend to watch it over other social engagements, missing friends gigs, because, sorry, <laughs> Veronica Mars came out tonight, I can't come, sorry, it's <laughs> going to happen. And I love being a love worship uh, well, you know, L, little O, V, E, shipper. It's just my thing. I love being able to stand with other Veronica, Man, Fa- Veronica Mars fans at the Sydney Writers' Festival debating the merits of the movie just this weekend past. At a social gig, we were in the corner, just like the movie, whatever, you're uh, I don't give a shit what other people think. I love it. And I'm not remotely ashamed. Because my friends, although I attended high school in the same years that Veronica and Wallace and Logan and Weevil and Mac did, and while I watched the teen series at a much later stage in my life, I'm proud to state in front of all you supportive folk that my name is Stephanie Van Schilt and I'm a 29-year-old Veronica Mann Mars fangirl. If I don't get my words confused. Lifted Brow columnist Bryony Doyle says of fangirling that, this is a quote from her, if you're unsure about your terms, here's a statement of the obvious. A fangirl is a girl who's also a fan of something or someone. (laughs) She's so good, look her up, (laughs) trust me. And this is still her quote. This is not a mild statement. Being a fan is not the same as pressing a like button. A fangirl's like is holy. It also leads to fangirl behaviours, activities like home-crafted memorabil- home memorabilia, <laughs> collages that would impress serial killers, blogging, raving, poeming and love-songing. And I'd also like to say maybe perhaps coming to an awesome night like this evening. <laughs> Doyle developed this definition via the wise words of another diminutive teen blonde whose intellect rivals Veronica herself, <laughs> those of Tavi Gevinson, the founder of website Rookie and supportive theoretical voice of fangirls everywhere changing oh so that was that was the love slide look at them <laughs> oh there they are according to Gevinson fangirls are incredibly enthusiastic and obsessive and embr- embrace this fact fangirling is genuine and authentic it's the and this is a quote from Tavi refusal to act, act cool and disaffected and just to love something as a religion she also notes how it's an incredible communal act that allows fans of pop culture to connect with like-minded others and that through this community you don't have to feel like a failure in fact it's actually a comforting experience (laughs) fangirling is also about empowerment and carving out an identity for your in this case predominantly teen selves. Tavi found power in fangirling because she started to look closely at what made her relationship what made her relationship to things specific to herself she was interested in seeing fangirl as a reflection on herself The creators of Veronica Mars have established a mirror upon which fangirls bask in this reflection. I'd argue that Veronica Mars, more than any other teen show or show in recent times, supports fangirling as a form of viewership and cultural attachment. From the highly successful Kickstarter campaign, which we've already touched upon, and the Easter eggs littered throughout the series, I don't know if any of you guys know, but Piz is actually named after the director of the first two episodes of the entire series, (laughs) Mark (laughs) Piznacki, yeah, Piz right down to the direct dedication at the beginning of the new novel where it says it's for all the Veronica Mars Kickstarter backers and also the cast's continual references of marshmallows. As an exercise in my own obsessive reading of the Veronica Mars vehicle, uh, (laughs) I was like, I I feel Veronica Mars can be seen as a symbol for fangirls around the world. Her character is ca- crafted with attributes that touched on fangirls' tendencies towards addiction, but also her deep cerebral tendency to take bits and pieces of the world and carve stories, spin narratives, establish clues, and solve cases. For instance, taking a line from the, the book, which is called The Thousand Dollar Tan Line. Has anyone actually read it yet, or am I the only one? Damn. Oh, yeah, did I see two? Yeah, yeah, a
4: couple down the front here, too.
5: <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it after. Um, we can all
4: talk about it after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: Veronica doesn't really need to take notes. Oh, this is a quote. Veronica doesn't really need to take notes. She has a memory for detail that is at best useful and at worst obsessive. While Tavi herself has admitted that fangirling offers her an opportunity to see the world through the eyes of, the, of other people and that this action is thrilling and it satisfies some hyper-obsessive part of her. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
2: that was cute Accordingly,
5: Veronica Mars truly fl- Oh no, it's going to be this one Just wait for this Bam <laughs> Accordingly, Veronica Mars truly flips a bird At anyone who tries to poo-poo or belittle This kind of pop culture, wo- worship or dedication No
4: one's listening anymore just <laughs> do <that>. It's mesmerising <laughs> So good
5: Uh, In its very form, (laughs) skewing cliche genres and utilising teen tropes to relate to bigger social and political concerns, which again we've touched on, it underscores the idea that fangirling is fine at any age. Because as Tavi acknowledges herself, a teenager is just a caricature of of a real person because you feel everything extra strongly at the time and you're experiencing things like really full on at that time. But I think everyone still deals with the stuff that we do as teenagers throughout their whole lives. It doesn't get better, which is what Veronica Mars, and particularly growing up in the movie, proves us. So through the subsequent expansion of the vehicle, I'm embracing my fanaticism once more. It's a joyous exercise. At last, I got the love reunion I so desired. (laughs) I was last to go on, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) The world has deepened and opened for even more adventure and enticing enticing speculation that now gives me some something to anticipate rather than grieve over, which is one of the many reasons why Veronica Mars is so adored. It embraces the fact that I love it and pop culture and I love it obsessively, and that there's no shame in that. And that's why I'm here to show my love for the show this evening and the movie, etc. And also why you guys are here. It's to help keep the love alive. Thanks. <laughs>
4: As much as that's fabulous I think it needs to go off oh. otherwise none of us will be able to concentrate Not to tomorrow. tomorrow it's so good <laughs> <laughs> one thing i was interested in the fact that you know even though you're contemporaneous with Veronica's sort of high school years you watched it afterwards and intensely do you think it makes a difference watching something back to back in that kind of right I'm just going to have one Veronica Mars epic that lasts until I run out. Is that a different kind? Like, would you have engaged with it in the same way if you were doing it week to week, do you think?
5: Probably so, because The O.C., which was the show Mm -hmm. that I was obsessed with at the time, was so important, and that was before the internets and stuff became a big factor in my life. And I used to have O.C. nights with friends, so it was social. We'd Mm -hmm. go to different houses, and we'd watch it, and we'd talk about it. And if I could talk about Seth Cohen, (laughs) give me any opportunity, and I'm all over it. Um. So I think I, I, I'm actually upset that I didn't get that original opportunity mm. part of me because she's, she would have just made, I feel like, such a difference because of all the reasons we've talked about tonight. She was such a formidable character and perhaps the OC lacked the qualities that like Karen was discussing and, and, and even Alistair about like, the fact that she was such a strong, formidable human being and the OC maybe liked that a little bit. That's and I OC. had that kind of remorse as I was,
7: you had Julie Cooper. I think she was oh probably my God. the most Veronica Mars-like figure. <laughs> Love <laughs> Juju. It
2: was the ensemble cast, really. And everyone yeah, picked true. the person. They were like a boy band. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> picked the one that they loved and just focused on them. And that Veronica was very much you know, the lead of the show. Like, it reminded, When I was in high school, I watched Buffy yeah. as mm-hmm. it was happening on the TV. And it was like, you know, and, and a lot of VHS. You know, like, mm. vo- borrowing and, and, and sharing Swapping. of the ages. And recording while it was on the TV. Fast recording over Dad. the top of things. <laughs> oh, my God, you know. So I watched Buffy when I was the same age as mm. the Scooby gang. And um, and it was intense and, and full on. And you kind of wish fulfilled yourself into that group and whatever. But then later, you know, it was a good ten years later that Veronica Mars happened. And I remember feeling in the first episode, like, this is like Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Buffy's back. <laughs> Except instead of demons, it's o ers so, yeah. you know? I was like, this is better, yeah. you Because know? I know <laughs> those <are> assholes. <laughs> and also, I forgot to mention in my talk that not in Veronica Mars, when people have sex, they don't then die. <laughs> <laughs> or become like demons or get sent to hell or explode or anything else. They just like have sex and then go, wow, that was great. Let's do it again.
4: Although I, yeah. do, I do love that scene when she comes home and, and her, you know, Keith Mars sort of says, oh, you look different. It's like, I know my dad's a really hotshot shot I, but <laughs> can You can't actually tell that I've just had sex. <laughs> can he?
5: And how, yes. he? how awkward <laughs> did you feel watching that as I well? I was like, like, Whoa. like Whoa.
6: <laughs>
2: And that's like an earlier on in the first season, she comes home after a very chaste little date with even no kissing and says, you know the conversation was terrible, but the sex was great. So <laughs> yeah. They're so they're line. always... Ca- and then when he actually makes the sex joke, she's like... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really nice little callbacks. I think the show had a lot, as you say, those Easter eggs buried through yeah. for people to... For real fans to feel very excited Well, yeah, about. and then the movie went and took that
5: to a whole other yeah, level. Yeah, the movie
2: was like a cipher, really, yeah. for fans. <laughs> I think people who hadn't watched the series would have found the movie quite confusing.
4: And I've got that feedback from people who haven't watched the show, but... For some reason, I, I guess as a group or something had gone along to see the film, and they said, "Well, it was just written for the fans." Like <laughs> that's a bad thing. Yeah, <laughs>
6: yeah. But like I didn't they were saying, they were you. saying like, you know, like I
4: could follow Serenity without having seen Firefly, but I couldn't yeah. follow Veronica Mars without having seen Veronica. So deal with that. That's fans fair. paid for it. Yeah, for it. <laughs> exactly. You know, yes. Yeah, Go back whatever. to the beginning. You're so lucky if you've yeah. never seen it. You're so lucky. A whole new world. Oh. Yeah. So we're going to throw it out um, to you guys now, and Sean's going to um, come around with a mic. So. If you've got a burning question for our panel, please put up your hand. Don't be shy. While you're all gaining your confidence, I want someone to explain to me what Veronica ever saw in Duncan Kane. <laughs> <laughs> because the guy's pretty has, hot. I, I mean he has one he facial expression. He
2: he was pretty hot and also He was a, he was a maybe yeah. brother, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and it's always so hot. Mm-hmm. There was, yes.
7: there was the possibility of incest there for a while there was sort of a simmering. How awkward <laughs> in, in
2: seriousness, though, it left serious. <laughs> yeah, sure. he, like, he was like the nice guy who was a, an athlete as well as an intellectual guy. So boring. Did, boring. I know, but he did. was <laughs> He did <laughs> someone sassy like Veronica. She wasn't sassy though? then, remember? Uh, she was it's just true, like yeah. kind of long-haired no, yeah. and cute. Okay. And he was like the coolest okay. guy in school. Plus but He was she, sensitive. He wasn't as jerk offy as his friends. I can <laughs> see it.
4: You know, yeah, I can see, see it. It's like one facial expression. I just don't yeah. get it. The <laughs> actor. No, the actor I am not here for. But I am here for Duncan. Yeah. I
3: think Duncan I understand.
4: Okay, we've got a question down the front, please. Just wait for a mic so that we can all hear.
3: Hi. Um, I don't have a question. I have a little comment to make. My name's Pathina, and I used to live in Los Angeles when this came out. And I was in a unique situation. I was house-sitting a house in Beverly Hills with a couple that was trying to adopt a baby in another country, and I was with the husband for half the time, he'd fly over, and he didn't realise that I was happy to be looking after the house, but I had to have control of the TV, (laughs) so the poor man would come home after a 10, 12 hour day, and I would have all the shows I wanted to watch, and he was cringing when I said, no, this new shows, come on, wait, wait, it looks good. After the third episode, he'd come home early. (laughs) This is a 55-year-old man Mm. loving this show. And I never knew at the time, years later, I'd be sitting in Melbourne and people would be passionate. I just knew that I was crazy about it and you have all now highlighted why I was crazy in love with it. Mm. And I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yay. Thank
4: you,
3: But I guess it's
4: interesting, like, I'm... Picking up on what Steph has is that, you know, like it's not just in your teen years that a teen character appeals to you. You, you carry that teen in you, that, that part of who you are just always remains in that That wasn't moment. me, that was Charlie. just yeah. so you know. Yeah. As much yeah. as I'd love. adopting
3: a baby and he used to say, she is teaching me the way I want my daughter to be. Mm. Mm. Yes. Oh.
2: That's interesting is that that the time that Veronica Mars was made was off the back of another really successful show called My So-Called Life. Oh, I remember that.
0: Which, so which
2: didn't really get a run in Australia, but is one of those epic shows that everyone should watch once in their life. Mm-hmm. And My So Called Life pioneered the idea in network television of the double storyline, the kids and the parents. Mm-hmm. And before that, shows had been yeah. for kids or parents. And so you had Thirty something, which I don't know if anyone watched, but like The most Mm. boring show ever. (laughs) For 30 year old people to watch their own lives reflected back at them. (laughs) Um, And then my so called life was basically, yeah, it was this, it it, it ended up getting cancelled for that reason because it was like the network said, we don't know how to promote it. It, Do we promote to the adults? Do we promote to the kids? And then you think the shows now, like Friday Night Lights and every show since, and the OC, Mm -hmm. that's had that twin Mm. storyline. The older people are going, oh Keith and you know the Celeste I feel and Aaron. Like it has something to do with the switch in kind of
5: dropping that horrible like postmodern ideal of reflecting back in on on the drama and itself segmenting. and the teen drama. Yeah, exactly, yeah, absolutely. And there is actually oh, I can't remember what college it is in the US, but they have a whole subject dedicated to the OC and just like <laughs> referential. Yeah,
2: I know. Who doesn't want to go to that college? Like... I wish I'd become a Buffy scholar. Like, oh. I often feel like that was a choose your own adventure that I, yeah. I dropped the ball on. But yeah, but yeah, like the Gilmore Girls and things like mm. that. There's lots of shows that that really allow the the parent and the child to relate at the same time.
1: Yeah, uh, I think the older audiences are also can be attracted to the younger storylines because I told my mom I was doing this tonight, and she, out of nowhere, was like, "Oh my god, I love that show. That Logan." <laughs> I, I had no idea she'd even watch this when it was back on TV, and her kids had moved out, and she's at home at night watching Brady come on And Marina needs to have a glass of wine soon, I
2: think. <laughs> he had form for older women as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> Any
4: other questions from the audience here? <laughs> we got a few. I don't
0: know. Sorry, I'm, I'm Vivian. I don't know if it's a question or statement, but based on what you were saying, Alistair, about the outcast idea. I was really interested in how she originally got into the O-9ers because I know her dad was a sheriff, but I didn't think it was like... I thought it was more they were really, really wealthy to get in the O-9ers and I don't quite know whether the class of the sheriff would have got her there. And I know she was Lily's best friend, hmm. but Duncan. that really interests yeah,
5: me. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it kept falling back <laughs> on Duncan, really yeah, yeah, the
7: Lily and Duncan thing that yeah. sort of got her there because she was part of the community and I guess she was sort of pretty and perky, so... As long as she was friends with Lily, I suppose, and dating Duncan, she was kind of, you know. She had by, enough cred. By default, she had enough cred. Not enough dollars. To be and there.
2: we get I the suppose. sense from those folks. Oh, well, middle breaks. class. Yeah. The Mars family were middle class, and then they went to lower yeah. class. Yeah, what's
5: that awesome line? Like, let's eat tonight, like the lower middle class. They're spiders.
6: They teach me that.
4: But I think also we get, in that sense of, you know, I, I was dissing Duncan before, but we get that sense that he sees, to a degree, more than his 09er cohorts past those class divisions, so you can see why he, he would Veronica. he would go out with Veronica. Like, he wouldn't be put off by that class difference. Which is why of... they
5: need to get rid of him, because that is boring TV. <laughs> <laughs> they
2: did. <laughs> but he, he was the head of the mock UN, Duncan. True. So he was, like, yeah. social conscience. Yeah, didn't he have that, like, amazing running for kind of school president yeah and his dad and mom and dad wanted yeah. him to be the first president and yeah so he was kind of yeah he had this he he was he was an outsider within his clique yeah. of the o-niners and that's a funny and like weevil being mm. like the sensitive bikey yeah, bike you know, gangbanger weevil. you know and there was this kind of different ways in which people were always on the outside of something mm. um, i thought that was really fascinating i thought it was really great reading mm-hmm. thank you the show yeah
7: Hello. Um, I I just wanted to ask about the friendships in the show because for me that's one of the main things that always hooked me in because in something like Buffy you have like a real gang who are all very close and spend all their time together and there's only ever like a few other peripheral characters who come back but in Veronica Mars you've got Veronica and you've got that central friendship with Wallace and then she's got all these other really interesting friendships with other people, like, she get, becomes friends with Meg, she's friends with Max, she's friends with Weevil, mm-hmm. she, um, she makes friends with some of the adults in the show, and I just I just wondered what you thought about the importance of friendships in Veronica Mars. Who's
6: going to take it? Anyone? Yeah,
2: I think, <laughs> I think you're right. I think it's like... It, and it showed very unusual friendships. Like, she had that early... Um, there was an early storyline where she was friends with the other woman in the apartment complex. Yeah. Who was the victim of domestic violence and that was Jessica Chastain. Yes, it playing was. Her. Yep. So the there line. was kind of um yeah, Veronica was by her out by virtue of her outsider status, she was friends with Inga mm-hmm. at the police station and there, you know, so but then she then was, mocked
5: her yeah. as well. But she <laughs> was able
2: to get a lot of, oh, yeah. you know, um but she was kind to her, you know, when she went there she asked Inga about things. And I think and that feeds into that outsider hero. She's mm. kind of a
5: hero that she is everyone Um, yeah she's so at her core great mm -hmm. like she's just a good human being
2: and when she's mean to you it's because you're a jerk yeah (laughs)
7: as well they were all good at different things so it's almost like they were her (laughs) little tool belt yeah because you know she had weevil who had you know an an in the muscle that world of gangs Mm -hmm. the muscle (laughs) and then you know you had mac who was a really good hacker and you know wallace was sort of good at sport so you know she had and she was friends with a guy down at the impound lot, like Ernie or something. He was only <laughs> ever mentioned. Like,
5: Can we also talk yeah. about
6: Leo
7: for
2: a moment? Yeah. yeah. Anyone? Uh, Schmidt. <laughs> Schmidt. <laughs> yeah, Schmidt. Oh. And every oh, time oh, I Schmitt. see you, new go, I'm like, oh, you watch so cute. Cute. <laughs> and, and Leo's so sweet and you're like, <laughs> no. yo, I through <laughs> <laughs> you. Uh, yeah, there's those beautiful like, moments of, um, of, for a little while, you think maybe she'll just have a nice boyfriend who's cool and sweet and then Logan comes back. You're mate. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
4: but I think and getting back to that the that question about yeah. the friendship, I mean, it's interesting, you know, like, you know, there's all these... There's this whole market for, for parenting books of, like, how to guide your teen through the difficult years. And, and one of them, you know, um, it's called Queen Bees and Wannabees. And it, it talks that, about the different... They base they Mean Girls. girls. Yeah, exactly, yeah. which is the basis for the Mean Girls movie. And about, you know, what clique you belong to and where, where your teen sits and where you as a teen sit. And one of their sort of characters... Is this, or one of these categories is, is the person who doesn't have a group, who doesn't have their own set sort of Scooby gang, but kind of floats between the different groups and how that's a really difficult position to take because it is this kind of sort of like you don't have that security but also the best position um, to have, like a really strong position to have. And it's have.
5: also a testament to how well that show was written because if you try <laughs> to kind of pitch a show where you're like, this one girl, she floats around, she has maybe a couple of core friends but then she's got all the friends... Mm. That doesn't yeah. sound like it's sustainable. And there's also like that really gender is. flip as well. Yeah, that, absolutely. Like her best
2: friend is a dude, and he's a black that. guy, yeah. um, and he is constantly saying to her, "What should I do? Please help me." Yeah. You know. Um, and then Mac being the, you know, the IT, the the hacker. Mm, yeah. That's so often a male character. Mm-hmm. You know. So there was, there was, yeah. And, and also usually it's the mom, the single mom, who's left left, the deadbeat dad is shot through. And so there were just so many really clever gender flips, I think, that um, in the show that made the friendships more interesting but made all the relationships
4: Absolutely. quite
2: interesting. Yeah.
4: There were a few more hands.
0: Thanks. Uh, hi, my name's Amy. Um, just on that whole friendship thing, um, you kept talking about how she kind of changed, as Veronica obviously, changed from like when she was friends with Lily to after Lily's death. And I'm actually watching, I've got my... Um, introducing my boyfriend to it at the moment so i'm rewatching it all came here oh, from a marathon but my question is i'm starting to wonder now how veronica and lily became friends in the first place like mm-hmm. to watch veronica in the tv show she's this sassy don't take no you know guff from no one sort of thing and then you see lily who i Almost dislike, like she's this bitchy kind of sleeps around kind of like she's a frustrating person. Like, I love yeah, Lily. Like, oh, but I love it. I I've love got the same Lily. thing. I don't yeah. Know. And so yeah, I just wanted I to kinda um, talk to people who watch the show, love the show, and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. How you think they either became friends yeah. or just kind of that big, like personality. Don't you have any
2: friends who are the opposite of you? Not anymore. Oh, that's it. Not anymore. Whoa. (laughs) But also, not anymore. (laughs) Clearly. Maybe they met when they were quite young. I mean, did you have friends like that when you were younger? Yeah, I I
5: look at that and I think about so many friends I had in high school. And you're like, oh, I still really loved what we had at the time, except you're actually an asshole (laughs) to me. And And
2: maybe as they'd gotten older, if she lived there, they might have just naturally grown apart. I think Lily would have probably just gone to hit the big time. and taken over the world (laughs) with her, you know, body. (laughs) Um, But I loved Lily. I thought she was just so, like, so badass herself. And I felt like, actually, Veronica, after Lily died, channelled Lily. Mm, And she sort of said, I want to be a bit like her and Mm. tough and don't take shit from anyone and powerful because it keeps her alive. And that's how I'm going to find out who killed her. You know, I felt like that was a real romance between those two.
0: That's a really that's good point. That's question. Yeah. <laughs> Great mm-hmm. Question. Mm-hmm. Um, The other thing, just really quickly while I've still got Mike, um, is it's actually more a comment on character development and, and that sort of thing. Um, one thing that I absolutely love um, re watching it again is obviously you don't know Aaron is the killer until the last episode, sort of thing. But watching the first scene. <gasps> <seat, laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, spoilers, my bad. Um, but watching it again is the. Um, like his character development sort of thing. Like mm. you see that he's obviously grown up in this abusive household. He's a bit psychotic in the sense that he will beat up people and you can kinda see that translating to Logan later in the series and, and that sort of thing as well. And I just find his character almost believable in that sense sort of thing. Just just around a coming. Rather I than just a caricature yeah, just like or all of All abusive, of a sudden yeah. he's a murderer sort of thing. You yeah. kinda yeah. see that building up almost throughout mm. the season. That's just, yeah. just I, what I'd I say met him
3: in LA and tried to get out of the who was the murderer, not knowing that it was... Harry me. Hamlin. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and I'm trying to be really cool and, you know, <laughs> you know complimenting him on party. But you fangirled instead, oh, no, you? no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Because Lisa Rinna was nearby, you know, she's a bit of a... Oh, because you know. they're married. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, so I'm just trying to be really cool. Oh, you know, I really liked you in, you know, that old movie, How is, you know... And then I'm casually he wouldn't give anything. (laughs) anything. That's (laughs) good. His stocks just went off.
7: Yeah. 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 Just coming off that actually, I kinda feel like they did a similar thing with Woody Goodman, you know, where his character started off as, you know, the really kind of cool, you know, magnetic kind of figure, and then by the end of season two you found out that he was actually Yeah, pretty rotten. (laughs) I just found that really interesting the way that
8: I really yeah.
5: liked how they brought that up in the movie when Jira and Veronica
8: yeah, yes. and
4: bummed. she's like, oh, my God, so nice to see you. Even though you made my dad out in public,
8: let's <laughs> <Yeah. those two laughs> so kind of fun. But
4: anyway, you look great. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm figuring that's the point at which my friend who hasn't seen it before is going, what?
7: what? <laughs> what? Yeah, <laughs> what? yeah, yeah, yeah. How good was Jira Goodman, though? Like, yeah, she was so a great character. Don't trust the bee in Apartment 23, yeah. gone before its time. <laughs> oh, Such yeah. a good show. There were some the other hands title.
4: up around the ether.
8: My name's Sally, and my question is probably mostly for Karen. But um, how do you guys feel about the interesting portrayal of the f- university feminists in season three?
6: <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
8: That's
2: my
6: answer. <laughs> <laughs> so I was
5: actually that reminds me just to jump off that question. There's a lot of going back and rewatching. It really interesting um, kind of portrayals of sex work and and and. Using like the word prostitute and like there's a lot of because I I obviously I think Veronica's a feminist as well but there's this weird
2: yeah like, there is some weird kind yeah. of yeah um, and like a moral kind of and it's a show that that you know 2004 to 2006 you know which is a different absolutely time in terms yep. of um, the visibility of sex work mm-hmm. activism and and think but you know something I'm thinking of now is also that. Episode in season one with the trans character,
7: um, which Leo was that way was. ahead yeah, of its yeah, time. Yeah, in terms of like awareness of trans
2: issues. Yeah, and Melissa Leo, the, the Oscar winner, played the character. But that that in feminism now we have, I think, a really robust debate happening about how to, you know, be more respectful and incorporate the views of say sex workers and trans folk and different and people with different ability and this kind of thing. But in 2012. 2004, that wasn't really... Feminism was really a dirty word back, back then. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, it did surprise me that that's how college campus feminists would be portrayed. It's a pretty common, I think, pretty lazy way of showing feminists. Although, there are people like that. You know, there are people... There are feminists mm-hmm. on university campuses who, who you know, um, are, are kind of humorless and insufferable. And, um, <laughs> and that... You know a, and that that just takes that grain of truth and then exaggerates it and creates a kind of unfair stereotype, i guess, but yeah I, th- I thought it was I, I thought it was kind of disappointing, but it wasn't a deal breaker <laughs>
8: <laughs> and there was another hand up down here that's been up for a while. hi, as um happy as I was with. Uh, Veronica ending up with Logan in the movie. Sorry if anyone has seen it. I think you <laughs> <he> might have <laughs> suspected that was going to happen. Is there, so. a, is there a cone uh, of silence yeah. for this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was a little taken back when she compares both Logan and I believe her detective work to being um, like a drug. And then she mm-hmm. says that she, at the end of the movie, she says that she's going to succumb to her di- her addiction. I wasn't sure I could reconcile that with this strong feminist character. It's an abusive relationship. Yes, and I was wondering, you know, in the, ho- in the whole series, all we see is Veronica going through such horrible, sad experiences mm-hmm. and just burden after burden in Neptune. And I was wondering if the panel thinks, speculates, that if she's going to be okay what's <laughs> <laughs> Read the in book. the future.
5: Read the book. The it, book it, goes it, on
8: after after
5: okay. the, the So, movie. that's a not, book spoiler? It, well, it's not it's not the same story at all, but it, timeline-wise, <laughs> chronologically, it is after the movie, so they yeah. kind of touch on a few things. It
8: was just the one thing in the film that I thought that that scene, when it she said that sentence, I, right, like I was it. like, yeah. that doesn't yeah. match the theme of the whole series for me.
7: Right. Not to dump all over the film, but I actually wish that Veronica had taken the job at the start you know, what? and stayed on with Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis? He's Jamie Lee, on Lee on Curtis, she was so oh hot God. in yeah. Yeah, but
2: Yeah, but then we're in New York with Piz.
4: <laughs> no, okay. Is this off is off the thing,
2: it's this kind of, like, false... Actually, Piz is hot to me, just so... <laughs>
6: you know, this
2: false choice, it's like, um that is so often in in fiction for women mm-hmm. you know you've got to pick one Either of these or. guys and can't have it all exactly <laughs> and that Hunger Games thing like are you team Gale or team yeah. it's like or Hermione when everyone said when J.K. Rowling came out and said oh maybe she should have ended up with Harry and i was like maybe she should have blown them both off yeah and gone and just become like the you know best, best witch in the world and just taken <laughs> over and ended up running like The ministry or
5: something. But remember when she throws down in
2: the bathroom with Logan? Like that was so hot. I'm so not into it. (laughs) I'm so not. I'm like I'm like a brick wall to this. Seriously. (laughs) Like I get the first kiss. I get the like. One of the sexiest moments on TV. If you don't kind of you know see the sexiness of that, then you know. But it's a. I get that. But then yeah, as it went on, and by the time of the movie, I was just like, dude. Get oh. rid of him. I'm a you know, son. you have
7: just deconstructed the idea of being team whatever, but I'm team Dick.
2: <laughs> yes. And team Dick is also team Dick. Yeah, like, yeah. which is the in wonderful the thing. We're like,
5: we all agree that we love Dick, and I'm like, but he's the
6: poor. He is the worst. That's yeah. why he's, awesome. he's That's why it's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, I would have
2: loved to have, I would have loved, you know, in that, because I'm also a child of the 90s and I loved 90210 mm-hmm. with the Fire of a Thousand Suns. Um, I loved it when Kelly chose me. You know, yeah. chose me. When Kelly said, you know, Ke- Taylor said, I choose me. I've got to choose between Brandon and and um, and Dylan, and they're making me choose one of them. Mm. And she says to them, like, No, I choose myself. Screw you guys. Yeah. Um, and and goes off and has presumably a cool life, but where she marries the guy from. Um, from Twilight.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting that, she, that Veronica has such a healthy relationship with her father mm. and yet can't translate that into a healthy relationship with men. You know, that, 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 that is the defining female-male relationship. And Wallace, you know, like she has these platonic male-female relationships which are so strong and so sassy and so fabulous. But I, I, I agree, I think her romantic life is highly problematic. Well,
7: not to be a downer, but there's this really incredible moment in season one where there's a flashback to Veronica waking up the morning after she's been assaulted mm. and she's speaking in the voiceover about what she plans to do. And she's going to the police, but she says that she's not gonna tell her dad mm. because, you know, he couldn't he he's not gonna be able to do anything. Yeah. And she doesn't want him to get needlessly upset about it. And that's yeah. kind of a really powerful moment. I don't know how you guys I
5: was yeah, no it is, but I was also like I, I really love Keith and Veronica. I think they're wonderful and they've got that like 1940s 1950s mm. movie kind of his girl friday thing going on mm. but they are father and daughter and when he's saying who's your daddy does that it's anyone else
2: i just say that as like a super dorky dad joke oh. you know yeah, like I,
7: that's my yeah
2: yeah like that he's just i don't know and she's she like trying to be cool it, you know, like, and she's yeah, like
7: oh my god I don't know.
2: but yeah a, i don't know i feel like that that yeah that reaction um, after assault is probably more to do with how women respond um, when as in that's more like in keeping with victims and survivor behavior um, mm. that they that they feel ashamed and as though if they tell anyone that no one will ever see them as the same again, and so she wanted her dad to see her as capable and powerful, mm. and she didn't you know want him to um, to yeah, go and seek retribution or whatever. But yeah, I feel like I feel like you're right that she has this relationship with her dad that is that is pretty um respectful mm. and equal and mm. highly functioning. And then maybe she had that with Piers as well as boring no as way. everyone was way, <laughs> No but that's <laughs> thinks the thing, was, she was way too
5: powerful for him. She so, like, Yeah, I
2: really just wanted her to just walk away from both of them. Yeah, and just go see your suckers. And that's great. But 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 what happens? But what
5: happens (laughs) if she'd gone home and just stayed at her dad's house, which?
2: Yeah.
7: But she can yeah. walk away from Piers and still work with Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, exactly. New <laughs> York is a big place. <laughs> Cause Cause up him. Him. <laughs> this, is,
5: this might be his script that he's yeah. writing. Yeah,
4: <laughs> not. Yeah, yeah. not allowed to say. <laughs> well, that's it. And yeah, he says it's an authentic script, but it's actually yeah, yeah. a fanboy <laughs> <laughs> indulgence. Yeah. Or that's fan it's fan fiction. It's like O.C. Dawson's oh, Veronica Slash.
2: I'd be there. We would turn up for that. Absolutely.
1: I have think, we got any more questions? I think we might be out of time. Oh, I'm are we? I'm afraid. There's yes. one more we one more? Um, <laughs> these guys will probably <laughs> hang around for a couple of minutes you if pay? you did have any burning questions or wanted to make a case for either Piers or Logan and <laughs> write them on it. Um, but uh, I'd just like to say thank you to the panellists. Um, it's probably a bit creepy to say that you fangirl over people that are in the same room as you, but I am a big fan of all four of you guys. So thank you so much for coming out. Um, and if you all just like to join me in thanking the panel one last time. <laughs>
0: You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to Acme channel and the Acme website.